The fears that I had to confront when I was fired are about, am I enough? Do I belong here? Where do I have value? Hey you, you're listening to Not Yet, the podcast about our relationships and how they're the keys to our self-discovery. I'm your host, Paige Polk. I'm a community builder and Emmy award-winning digital media artist, channeling the powers of introspection. You're in the right place if you're mindful about the world you create and believe it's possible for us all to belong. I'm so grateful you're here. Now let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Not Yet and welcome for the first time to season two. It is such a lovely experience to be speaking to you all again. If you haven't checked out season one, I highly recommend it. In that format, I held space with couples, family, found family, people in any kind of relationship under the sun, and talk to them about their dynamic, about power, about what it looks like to love, what it looks like to grow, and how that relationship is fundamental for them being the kind of people that they want to be in the world. So if that sounds like your jam, go back in the notes and check out season one. But season two is a little bit different. We have a new format here. In addition to some personal awakenings that I'll be sharing about my own thoughts and creativity, spirituality, leadership, and belonging, I'll also be holding space with other leaders in science, art, culture, academia, about their personal journeys with metamorphosis and how it shows up in their work. So I'm really excited to bring you all along for the ride. And uh, let's get started. It only seems right for the first episode of this season to tap into my own vulnerability. Thank you, Brene Brown. And I'm going to talk to you all about me getting fired and what that felt like, Uh, what it looked like for me and my own brain, the fears that I had to confront as a result of it, and the kinds of help that also lifted me up in that space and why I think it happened. Uh... And also the power in betting on yourself and what it looks like to come out on the other side of something that can feel really earth shattering, especially in this capitalistic world. Uh, Yeah, so uh, let's dive straight in. It's my hope that you can take something from this story to support you in your own journey, whether you have been fired before or you haven't been fired before, or the idea of getting fired is something that just terrifies you. Uh, And being frozen in that fear you think is limiting you from being the person that you need to be. Um, Being fired also doesn't necessarily have to mean in a job, right? For me, it's being fired in a job, but also that being severed from a large entity that you felt like you belonged to or you tried to belong to or you changed yourself to belong to. What does it look like to be free from that? What does it feel like to be free? And what do you do next? (laughs) And... Who are the people and the kinds of people that you lean on when you are confronting these big, big ideas in your own mind? So uh, with me, uh, I worked at a racial justice nonprofit for about a year, and I actually loved the work. I loved the idea of being a part of an organization that was abolitionist, that was and still is trying to break down the carceral state that's getting police out of schools, 
that is really thinking about immigration as an immigration industrial complex, like a lot of the other large systems that we have in this country and in this world. And I knew that my gift for storytelling, my gift for digital media and digital media art could help move these movements along and support these grassroots organizers that are fighting in their own communities to be free and safe and support lawyers on Capitol Hill that are fighting for litigation that changes the way that the law is written to help people out, you know, and set the foundation for what legal freedom looks like in this country that's something more of a reality. Um, And when I started the job, I was so hype. (laughs) I was so hype. Uh, A little bit overwhelmed though, if I'm being honest, uh, this, I'd never done anything like this before. I'd never worked at a nonprofit before I'd done some work in government and I'd done some work in tech that was focused on accessibility and focused on visibility and equity. Uh, but this was definitely different being a part of, you know, essentially an army of folks who are defending the lives of people of color. Uh, I had never been a part of anything like that before, so I was excited about the opportunity, but it was definitely new. And even in the beginning, I could tell that this wasn't quite the right place for me. Um, I have my own experiences with, you know, going... Um, through, you know, the carceral system, not myself personally, but, you know, my, my family, some of my family members have actually been imprisoned and incarcerated and me and my family have had to process what that looks like for our belonging and what it looks like to build a family when part of your family is locked away and the emotional impacts that that has on the family unit And also the emotional impact it has on the person who's incarcerated. And uh, I thought that that personal touch that I had uh, would also help me do this work better. And it definitely did. But I could still tell that that wasn't really the avenue that I wanted to work through. Um, I've already done my own work and continue to do my own work in therapy when it comes to the um, carceral state, when it comes to incarceration, when it comes to the impact on family. And I didn't personally feel the need to work through those issues or those challenges rather at work. Um, no fault to people who do process it in that way. If that works for you, more power to you. But for me, I felt more comfortable um, and I also felt in more inspired and more driven and more enlightened to do that work with uh, a licensed therapist, with my coach, and also with my family members themselves. Uh, us working out our own dynamics together really helps me with that. And when it came to this work, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a part of something amazing. <laughs> and I want to help. My avenue is always storytelling and still is storytelling. I love getting people together and talking about the dynamics that they have and how we can do it better and what it means to do dynamics better, right? Uh, Better is different for everyone. And that flexibility is vital. 
the willingness to confront how power and joy and happiness and belonging look different for everyone and being willing to be flexible and being willing to be compassionate about that is vital. So I walked into that space excited about building interactive documentary style work that chronicled the work of on-the-ground organizers, uh, youth organizers, of folks who have been fighting for a constitutional right to vote for decades and have been there since the beginning. I was so excited to learn from them and to share their story and also to uplift that organizers and legal folks on Capitol Hill are working together. You know, there's a movement, like a real movement, capital M. And I was like, more people need to know how this framework works because everyone can organize and everyone should organize. And I think a big part of the reason that more people don't is because they feel alone. And we're not alone. We're never alone, uh, especially when we're fighting for our freedom. And I saw a lot of opportunity there. And I went in and I was so grateful to be working alongside some really incredible folks on my team. I was on the communications team and these people are amazing, you know, like read history books for fun, wake up early morning to pitch because they're passionate about the work kind of people that I learned from every single day. And I never worked in a team like this before either. You know, my, my background is in consulting. My background is in showing up for uh, a project and seeing, okay, here's a problem. How do we address the problem? How do we fix the problem? And how do we move forward through it in a way that everyone feels seen and being a part of a dynamic that was, you know, never ending, uh, because that's what a job is, you know, like the work keeps coming every single day and there's always more to do. It's not, okay, how do we find a solution to this thing? We're done. Yay. Surprise. (laughs) Uh, that was new for me. And I definitely struggled with that. Uh, I struggled with that for sure. And I remember when I first started there, everything was really fast paced as well. Um, I struggle with anxiety personally, and it was a lot for me to, it was a lot for me to reconcile what I was capable of mentally and emotionally and health wise with the demands of the organization. It's very rapid fire. And there's also a need for rapid response work sometimes. And I didn't know how to show up uh, a lot of the time. So uh, I don't know if this is imposter syndrome or not, but I would just feel like I couldn't handle it. Uh, And, you know, I would, I would get work out there and uh, I would, help our team, you know, edit videos or come up with ideas about creative ways to share the grassroots journey. And I would do it. And in hindsight, actually, the work was pretty good. (laughs) The work was really good and I'm really proud of it. Uh, But it was really challenging for me to be in that new environment. Um, But I'll jump to sort of the end of my time there about when I got fired. Um, Between the time where I started And the time where I left the organization, 
uh, the team that I was on, the communications team went through a lot, a lot, a lot of change. So, um, when I joined the team, there was an onslaught of new folks who were joining the team. And it, it's my understanding that capacity essentially doubled for our team. So folks were really excited in the organization. And there were eight people in the organization, in, in my team, myself included. And by the time that I was fired, every single person on my team had left and we had hired a new communications director uh, to sort of turn the wheel and uh, make some adjustments because turnover was a really big issue and there's lots of reasons why I think turnover was a big issue but that's not really the point of this podcast Uh, this episode is really about the fierce that I had to confront um, being in this new environment and also being separate from this new environment, uh, especially after something as traumatic as, you know, having every single person on your team leave and kind of knowing why, but not really knowing for sure. <laughs> uh, when I was fired, I was actually fired by my uh, new supervisor and the head of HR uh, remotely, of course, because due to the panini, everything is in the matrix. And it was really short and very, uh, you know, it was quick. Um, I don't know too many people who give drawn out firings in their organization. And the very first emotion that I felt in that conversation was panic. Panic of what is going on? I just felt incredibly disoriented. I did not expect to be fired. I knew that the organization was going through transitions. I knew that my team especially was going through transitions, but I did not know that that included firing me from the organization. And then from the panic, it came, what did I do wrong? I immediately jumped to, oh, I'm not enough. I immediately jumped to, oh, there's something I could have done better. Oh, there's something that I could have given more to. Oh, I could have given more time. Oh, I could have given more thought. Oh, I could have given more this or that. And I bring this up because in hindsight, that's actually not true. Uh, I know in my body that I gave absolutely everything that I could to that organization that I felt comfortable giving, you know, uh, For those of you all that work in nonprofit, it's definitely a challenging place, type of place to work in because there's pretty much always a resource problem. Uh, At least that's what people say. You know, people always say, oh, we need to have money for this, but we have to allocate it to this, or we need to have bandwidth for this, we need to allocate it to this. And it's uh, a very similar conversation that I've heard amongst people in different kinds of nonprofit worlds. Because inevitably, the work is urgent. Um, Urgent in the sense that if the problem that the organization existed to solve were solved, the organization wouldn't exist. So when it comes to racial equity, for example, or getting people out of jails in the middle of COVID, you know, like that's urgent work. And I did the absolute very best that I could to show up for our partners, to show up for my team, and to show up for the people that depended on us, while also prioritizing my own mental health. 
something that really came up for me a lot over the last year is what does it look like to build sustainably? What does it look like to create environments where everyone belongs sustainably? What does it look like to be a part of finding a solution to a problem that is so life-alteringly horrible as incarceration and do it sustainably? And I don't have a full answer to that, but I know that it starts with taking care of ourselves. And I know that it starts with honesty and being real about the capacity that we have. Um, Because only in that space can we be creative about solutions. If we are fighting to run and run and run and run and burn ourselves out, how can we possibly be creative about the future that we want to build? We're just trauma responding to something horrible. And that's not the way that I want to live. That's not the world I want to live in. And that's not the world I want to be a part of revealing. And I say revealing because we all live in our own worlds, right? With our own understandings of what's going on. We make our own assumptions. We tell our own stories about what is existing in the world around us. And when we build a collective consciousness, it's about revealing something that we all see. What I want to reveal in the world that we all see is love, is kindness, is generosity, is light. And yes, don't get me wrong. There's all sorts of horrible things going on in this world. And also, I choose to see light and I choose to follow that direction because when you follow a star, the only thing that can come is light. Only thing that can come through is light, and there is no space for darkness. And that's always been my entrance into this kind of work. And by this kind of work, I mean helping people make the world a little bit better by telling stories, by helping people be seen by the people that they love, by helping people give love to the people they don't want to see. <laughs> And uh, the fears that I had to confront when I was fired are about the deep-rooted stuff of, am I enough? Do I belong here? And if I can't belong in an abolitionist organization that speaks to the fact that no one is disposable, where do I have value? And that was a really scary thought. (laughs) Um, I ended up leaving pretty simply, you know, it was very peaceful. And in my last days of working there, um, I helped them transition over the information I had in my brain. And I knew that uh, I felt super weird about leaving because... uh, I I knew that I wasn't happy there, you know, but I also knew that I was doing good work and that there was a possibility of me contributing something positive if I just stayed true to myself. I knew that in my deep, deep, deep bones. And um, I knew that on my way out that I wanted to give more light. 
I didn't want to live in resentment. I didn't want to live in fear or anger. I wanted to thrive through this transition. And so on my very last day, there was a really big project that I was working on uh, for getting police out of schools. And a lot of folks had touched the work throughout different programs and different parts of the organization. And I wrote out all of the people that came to mind that were impactful in bringing that work to life in the organization. And in an all staff email, I thanked every single one of them for the particular contribution that I saw and that I appreciate. And when I sent that staff email out, when I tell you, I felt so free. That's the only word I can think of. I felt so free. I felt so light. I felt so loving and I felt so grateful. I felt so grateful for the time that I contributed there. I felt so grateful for the work we were able to bring into light. I was so grateful for the lessons that I learned about being in a team and about consistency and about sustainability and also about power. I learned a lot more about power and the dynamics of being in a large organization And I felt like I was a bird flying free. (laughs) And uh, then the next day I was done with the job anyway. I was not done with the emotions. (laughs) The emotions kept coming, okay? So I wasn't shocked anymore. Uh, I wasn't as scared anymore I realized that the fear was just a mask emotion right like it was like oh my god what am I gonna do was just panic 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 but like once I realized oh okay all my needs are met right like I'm surrounded by love I'm surrounded by people who want to help me out like whether that be my parents or my family on my partner's side or be my friends like no one is gonna watch me drown worst case scenario (laughs) Once I settled into that reality, in which I am so grateful for, because not everybody has that kind of support system. Once I settled into that reality, I was like, okay, so like, I got to dive into this feeling of lack and this feeling of not being enough and not being adequate. And my friend, that one is the kicker. Um, That's something I've been coming up against my entire life in some sense, you know, of like not being enough, whether it be in relationships or when it be for a coaching client or whether it be for a team on a passion project that I'm working on. Like there's always more that you can do, but there's something that I'm starting to learn is like just because you can do more doesn't mean that you should do more. And When I looked back on my time at that job, like I could have done more, you know, like I could have stayed after work and worked until midnight. I could have woken up at 6, 7 a.m. and started building up ideas. I could have reached out to other partners and like tried to help other people with their kinds of campaign work. I could have done so many things, but I'm discovering my own zone of genius And I know that my space, where I thrive, where I really contribute with the most potability is the deep thinking work. It's the, how do we do this better? And what's actually going on? What's the real problem? And how do we use media 
to tell that story? How do we build that arc so that people feel empowered? And how do we build that arc so that people feel like they're a part of the solution, so that they're empowered to change their own lives, so they're empowered to see their own value? And there are some days, my friend, where I am so, so certain in that, and it feels beautiful. And then there are days where I'm sitting on the couch looking at Netflix, and I'm like, man, I couldn't even keep a job at an abolitionist organization. Like, (laughs) what? What is that? And that's something that I reckon with regularly, you know? Um, But something that my mother-in-law told me, actually. uh, So I I actually didn't tell her that I got fired. Uh, she's Haitian. So for all my Haitian listeners out there, you can deduce from that whatever you may. Um, but I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified of telling her I got fired. I was terrified of telling her that I didn't know what I was going to do next. Uh, this woman has been my supporter since I met her. She's seen my light since I met her. And also she's someone who worked in the New York City social work system for 35 years she worked for the city so like she has seen some crazy stuff and she's also never quit a job before and I didn't even quit (laughs) I got fired and I was terrified of telling her and hearing my biggest fear her to tell me that wow you're a disappointment wow you're not enough and So I didn't tell her for about a week, maybe two weeks. And she was texting me saying, hey, I haven't heard from you. And I'm like, oh, I know. (laughs) Yeah, I'll get back to you. It is so busy. I was not busy. I was just binge eating and watching television on my couch and petting my cat and panicking. That's what I was doing. So I guess I was busy. I was doing things. And then one day I had an epiphany. You know what? This woman loves me. Like I have seen her show up for me in ways that I never thought possible. And it's not fair to, it's not fair to make assumptions about other people's capacity to love you, uh, especially when they've shown you that they'll show up for you. And so I gave her a call and I was like, Hey Jojo, how are you? (laughs) And she's like, yeah, I miss you. I miss you. How are you? And I was like, actually, I'm really going through it. Uh, I have been avoiding you. It's not your fault. I was fired last week and she was quiet. And that was a terrifying silence, by the way. (laughs) And she said, oh, are you okay? Ah, and when she said, are you okay? I was like, oh my gosh, of course she cares more about me than that job. Duh. She loves me. But like, man, those ninjas in the back of my head were telling me that it's not going to (laughs) work. And she shared the most inspiring words when she told me, you have always been someone who's driven and self-motivated. And you also see bullshit and you say it out loud and sometimes that's hard for people to hear and you are meant to be your own boss you are powerful and I don't know it's something like when a mom tells you that you're powerful (laughs) where I felt it I believed it and I was like man There are so many people who will show up for me who believe in me. I just have to believe in myself. 
And in that moment, I saw all the other people around me who had been supporting me through that transition, my partner, nothing but supportive. In the moments where I was staring at Netflix, wondering what I was going to do, staring at my big whiteboard, dreaming of, of my next future to manifest, she said, you can do it. And she wasn't even remotely afraid about how we were going to pay our mortgage. <laughs> well, if she was, she wasn't uh, sharing it with me. So thanks, babe, for not freaking me out. My friends, when I called them to say, hey, I left my job. And they're like, oh, congratulations. And I was like, oh, I was fired. And they're like, oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you to all of you. I'm so grateful for you. And when I think about why this happened, why I was fired, I can go into the nitty gritty of like incidents or whatever. But like in the grand scheme of things, I think this was cosmic. Because in the final months of my job, I was actually looking for a new job because I was so unhappy. I was applying to other places. I was interviewing with people. I was reaching out to my network trying to transition into a more wellness-based space that was more intentional about mindfulness, where I could expand on my desire to talk about growth and personal development and love and belonging and to create media that represented that and to serve people who are in their own journey with their expression and figuring out what their unique gifts are. And then I get fired. And then I look around and I said, oh, the time is now. The time is now. The time has always been now. And if I were still in that job, I would still be looking for someone else to save me. I would still be looking for another organization to tell me that I belong, to tell me that I'm worthy, to tell me that I'm valuable. And I don't need an organization to do that. I just need myself to do that. So I share this because I want you to know that there's power in betting on yourself. And that doesn't mean necessarily starting your own independent consultancy on culture and media like I'm doing. It doesn't necessarily mean working for yourself, betting on yourself. It can be working with a team. It could be working with an organization. Betting on yourself is about knowing that you are valuable, that you have special, unique gifts that you were brought on this earth to bring forth, to serve others. And I'm thinking of Marie Forleo right now, you know, like <laughs> you are here for a reason and you know what that reason is. It's only when the doubt trickles in where you dampen that light. In the moments where you feel the most joy, in the moments where you feel the most inspired and creative and the most like yourself, that's it. That's you. That's your light. That's the thing you were meant to do. The thing you were on this earth to do are the things that bring you joy, bliss. Because you have a special set of circumstances and histories and understandings and perspectives that create you uniquely uniquely perfect for whatever it is you're meant to do. So, uh, this is my zone. This is what I'm here to do. 
I'm here to share my story. I'm here to help you share yours. I'm here to think about the arc. I'm here to think about power. I'm here to think about belonging and how we all belong. So uh, this has been a wonderful return to not yet. And I can't wait to talk with you some more, to talk with some of our future guests some more. I'm so excited about this season. You guys, you have no idea. Uh, If you loved this episode, please forward it to a friend. If you know someone who would benefit from it, because I know there's somebody in your head that you're thinking about, they're like, man, they'd really benefit from this. And uh, I will talk to you later. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Not Yet. The podcast is hosted by me, Paige Polk, and produced by Paige Polk International. The show art is made by Elizabeth Olguin, and the music is by Elder. Don't forget to subscribe here. And if you want more of this love in your life, visit notyetseries.com to join the Not Yet Project and community. I'll see you next week.